Hear the word of God from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. These readings come from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 950 in the Pew Bible. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. About 25 years ago, a book was published that was widely unheralded at the time of its distribution, but by the time the year was over, it had become a major hit. The book was titled Children's Letters to God, written by an author named Stuart Hample. Over these last 25 years, that book has now sold over a million copies and has even been turned into an off-Broadway musical. The book had a very simple premise to collect actual letters that children had written from all over the world that capture these kids' deepest questions, comments, and concerns to God. Letters like this one from a little girl named Joyce. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> from Anita. Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? <laughs> From a little girl named Norma. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what the story is behind this one, but Frank apparently has some story to tell. Dear God... I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and then there are some letters that are not as much playful, but, but poignant. Like this one from Nora. Dear God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. And then there's this last one from Nan. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> I think it's that last one from Nan that has the most emotional resonance for us this morning. In fact, I think that if there's somebody who really resonated with Nan's letter, it was another letter writer 
named the Apostle Paul, who was drafting this message to the Ephesian church about this very thing, about the nature of God's love and how difficult it is for us to love one another. And so I would say that there's probably a part of each and every one of us that could connect to some level with what man is saying to God. God, it must be hard for you to love everyone in the whole world. It's certainly hard for us. And that's why in this beautiful letter to the Ephesians, this section of Ephesians chapter 3 is actually written in the form of a prayer where Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, I'm praying for you. I pray that you all saints will be able to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, he says, so that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Paul is basically acknowledging that all of us have these limitations, these deep down inherent struggles that are preventing us from, first of all, receiving and experiencing the fullness of God's love for us, and then in some way, overcoming barriers to love one another. It's at the very heart of his letter to the Ephesian church, and it's a message we need to hear today. God's love for us and through us. Someone once asked Karl Barth a question. The Karl Barth, widely regarded as the greatest theologian in the 20th century. One of his students asked him, Dr. Barth, what is the most important truth in the Christian faith? Now imagine all of the various answers that this great thinker and prolific writer could have chosen in that moment. This, Dr. Barth, author of volumes of granularities about the Christian doctrine that we now know of as dogmatics. What would he choose in response to that question? This is what he said. The most important truth in the Christian faith is this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's profound. It's simple, but it's not easy, is it? It's not easy because deep down inside, you and I have struggles with what it means to be loved by God in that way, to be loved by anybody that way, and to love others in return. In fact, as we enter into this service, into this sermon together, we would just acknowledge right up front the various limitations that you and I have that prevent us from experiencing God's powerful love. I don't know what those limitations are for you, but my hunch is there are many. For some of us, it could be a limitation within your own heart. That for you, the issue may not be your mind. You might have a cognitive, intellectual understanding of of God's love. It might make sense to some degree in your mind, but you just don't feel it. You don't experience it. In fact, you might characterize your spiritual life right now as one of drought as a kind of dryness in your soul for whatever reason. It could be circumstances in your life. It could be a past. But right now, you just don't experience the joy of God's love in your life. And if that's you, you are not alone. And in fact, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, felt that way too at a very early point in his life and ministry. 
Or your issue could be the opposite. Your issue may not be a matter of the heart. It could be that you have in your mind a barrier that is preventing you from understanding who God is and what God means for you. You might have trouble intellectualizing, conceptualizing the nature of God, rationalizing aspects of the faith over and against an empirical kind of perspective. You might have trouble even acknowledging the existence of God, where your doubts are preventing you from fully comprehending the reality of God in your life. And if that's you, I promise you, you are not alone. It could be that for some of you it is an issue of both heart and mind. But for many of us it could also be a limitation by your past. It's possible that the barrier that is preventing you from understanding the unconditional love of God is that you have never experienced that kind of love from anyone in your life before. You might have trouble identifying any relationship or any person where you have been loved that kind of unconditional way, particularly from people that you thought would love you unconditionally, but they have fallen short. Or it could simply be that the great barrier that we have in our understanding of God's love in this way is the differences we have with other people. It might be that unconditional love is hard for you because of what someone has done to you. A wound that is gaping from your relationship, a broken relationship with someone in your past, or something that you have done to them. Or it could simply be that it's hard for you to love people because of the great dividing barriers that characterize our polarized culture today, where we are more characterized by our differences from one another than our commonalities. No wonder Paul writes this prayer for the Ephesians and for us, because all of us have these limitations that prevent us from experiencing God's love and then sharing that love with one another. So Paul says, I am praying for you and for all the saints that you might comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses your knowledge and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That last phrase, that last phrase reminds us that Paul believed that God's love is greater than any limitation. The fullness of God's love can break beyond any barrier that we use to confine it. I learned this the hard way. When I was in middle school, I had a science teacher who was doing a lecture on the properties of water, particularly freezing water. And toward the end of his lecture, he looked at all of us in the class and gave the following directive. He said, now class, whatever you do, do not go home and look for a glass jar with a screw top lid. Whatever you do, do not take that jar and fill it to the rim with water and place the lid tightly on top of it. And whatever you do, don't place that water-filled glass tightly enclosed jar in the freezer. I think he was particularly looking at the junior high boys at that moment. 
as an indirect way of saying, go ahead and try it. <laughs> so what's the first thing I did when I got home? The very next morning, the very next morning, my parents awoke, opened up the freezer, and discovered the fruit of my scientific inquiry. Woke me up and said, McGray, go clean up the freezer. I learned in that moment that a glass jar cannot contain freezing water. And in a much deeper way, Paul is telling us that we cannot contain the love of God. Despite all the limitations that we face and that we have, God's love is bigger. It bursts through all of those confines. It is broader and higher and deeper and longer. God's love cannot be contained. Which means that it cannot be contained in one single person. God's love cannot be contained in one church or in one denomination or in one country. It is not exclusively for those who are good all the time. It is not exclusively for those who live in one country or belong in one class. It is not exclusively for the privileged and the proud. And it surely is not dependent on one's level of spiritual maturity. God's love is for all. And we cannot determine who it is that God loves and who it is that God doesn't love because the moment we attempt to confine and channel the love of God to people who meet specific criteria, that is the moment the glass jar of our human efforts breaks and the love of God bursts through all of the constraints under the force of a mighty move of God's heart for humanity. God's love cannot be contained. And you know what? It's a good thing. Because otherwise you and I wouldn't be here. Because that is the same love that reached out to us through the work of Jesus Christ and the work of Calvary and the cross, God burst through all the boundaries. God breached all the borders that separates humanity from God and reached out to us. Those of us, as Paul says in Ephesians, who were outsiders, have now been adopted into the fullness of life with God because God's love knows no barriers or boundaries. God broke through to show us a love that was sacrificial and free. God's love cannot be contained. And you know what else? God's love cannot be escaped. Doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how hard we try to hide or flee or ignore or argue the reality that God doesn't exist. God loves you. And God will not love you any less. You cannot hide and you cannot flee from the broad, long, high, and deep reach of God's love. Which means that God is even able to reach out to you in the most surprising ways. In the most subtle of circumstances. This past summer I came across the story of a woman named Auburn Sandstrom was a writing professor at the University of Akron in Ohio. 
She recounts the true tale of her own self-destructive behavior and a love that helped her out in the midst of crisis. She grew up in a family of privilege, a life that set her on a sure course for prosperity with a bright future ahead of her. But unfortunately, she squandered it. Through a series of poor choices and bad relationships, she found herself one night curled in a fetal position on a soiled carpet in a cluttered apartment in 1992. She was suffering from severe withdrawal from a drug and alcohol addiction. In the next room was her baby boy, covered in candy and chocolate, which she gave to him to occupy while she fed her addictions. She knew that if she were caught just one more time, she would lose the one thing that was most important to her, that little boy. And so she was reaching for a slip of paper, a little, a little slip of paper in her moment of distress that contained a phone number that her mother had given to her three or four years prior, which was the last time the two of them had ever spoken. When she gave her that phone number, her mom said this. She said, look, um, Auburn, this, this is a Christian counselor. And since you can't talk to anyone else, including me, maybe you could call this person. That was for three or four years ago. That little slip of paper was now almost shredded to pieces from having been folded and unfolded and stuffed and taken out countless numbers of times, but never used, always ignored, until this one moment when as she was lying on the carpet, she reached for that slip of paper one more time. Rather than tell you her story, I want to read for you her account of what happens as she says that Up until that moment, she had never, in her own words, really hung out with that whole Christian kind of thing. But this is what happened. I punched in the numbers. I heard the phone pick up. I heard a man say, hello? And I said, I I got this number from my mother. Uh, do, Do you think you could maybe talk to me? I heard him shuffling around in the bed. I mean, it was two in the morning, you know. You could tell he was pulling some sheets around himself and sitting up. I heard a little radio in the background, and he, and he snapped it off, and he became very present. He said, yeah, <clears throat> yes, yes, uh, what's going on? I hadn't told anybody, including myself, the truth for a long, long time. And I told him I wasn't feeling so good and that I was scared and that things had gotten pretty bad in my marriage. Before long, I started telling him other truths, like I might have a drug problem and that I really, really love my husband and I wouldn't want you to say anything bad about him, but he... 
he has hit me a few times. And there was a time when he pushed my child and me out into the cold and slammed the door behind us. and, And there was a time when we were going 60 miles an hour down the highway and he tried to push me out of the moving vehicle. I started telling those truths. And this man didn't judge me. He just sat with me. He was present and listened. And he had such a, a kindness and such a gentleness. And he would say things like, oh, tell me more. Or, oh, that must have hurt. Or sometimes just, oh. And you know, I, I'd made that call at two in the morning. And he stayed up with me the whole night, just talking, just listening, just being there until the sun rose. And by then, I was feeling calm. Uh, the, the raw panic had passed, and I was feeling okay. I, I was feeling like, okay, I can splash my face with water today, and I, I can probably do this day. You know, I wouldn't have cared if the guy was like a a Hare Krishna or a Buddhist. It didn't matter to me what faith he was. I was just very grateful to him. And so I said, hey, um, you know, I really appreciate you and what you've done for me tonight. Aren't you supposed to be telling me to, like, read some Bible verses or something? Because, I I mean, that'd be cool. I'll do it. You know, it's all right. He just laughed and he said, well, I'm glad this was helpful to you. And we talked some more. And then I brought it up again. I said, no, no, you're, you're really very, very good at this. I mean, you've seriously done a big thing for me. Tell me, how long have you been a Christian counselor? And then there's a long pause. And I could hear him shifting. He says, Auburn, uh, please don't hang up, he says. I, I've, been trying to bring, I've been trying not to bring this up. What? I ask. You won't hang up? No. Well, I'm so afraid to tell you this, but um, the number you called, he pauses again, you got the wrong number. Well, I didn't hang up on him. And we did talk a little longer. And I never would get his name or call him back. But the next day, I felt this kind of joy. Like I was shining. I think I've heard them call it, quote, the peace that passes all understanding. I had gotten to see that there was this completely random love in the universe and that it could be unconditional and that some of it was for me. And I can't tell you that I got my life totally together that day, but it became possible to get some help and get the hell out. 
And it also became possible as a teetotaling, semi-sane, single parent to raise up that precious chocolate-covered baby boy into a magnificent young scholar and athlete who graduated from Princeton University in 2013 with honors. That is what I know. That in the deepest, blackest night of despair, if you can get just one pinhole of light, all of grace rushes in. So Paul says, I pray for you that you might, with all the saints, comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that you might be filled with the fullness of God and that you might help others experience the same. Let us pray together. Oh God, your love cannot be confined and it cannot be escaped. Despite all the limitations, despite the barriers in our mind and in our heart, in our past and in our differences with one another, you break through with a love that is incomprehensible but is sure and readily evident for us. We thank you for that love. Now empower us to love others in the same way so that even through surprising acts from and for total strangers, we might embody the love that you have given to us in Christ Jesus so that you might through us poke little pinholes all over the place so that your grace and your love can rush in. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and let all God's people say, Amen.